Hello and welcome back to The Killer Kind. Thank you to everyone that gave great feedback on last week's episode, part one of The Black Dahlia. Like I said last week, it's been one I've wanted to cover forever, so I'm so glad I've finally been able to do that. With that said, if you haven't listened to last week's part one episode, you might want to stop right now and go back and check that out first, because today we'll be focusing on the many suspects linked to the case. Before we dive into that, there was some exciting news that came out this week. A group called the Case Breakers put out a statement saying they have identified the Zodiac Killer. When I first heard it, I didn't believe it. I wasn't sure what to think, but I had a friend text me about it and she was pumped. So I immediately went to Google to figure out what really happened. And I won't give it all away, but basically a group of 40 plus people that make up a group called the Case Breakers, they look into these cold cases, but they're a group of retired FBI agents, private investigators, current and former detectives, forensic analysts, and so many other pretty important people that have been involved in investigations for decades. All these people work together to track down former witnesses, possible DNA matching, basically a huge investigation of their own, and they claim to have identified the Zodiac Killer. They are confident enough to submit court affidavits proving their claims, and from what I can tell, they haven't really released details of their claims except for the name of the man they identified. Um, Unfortunately, he died in 2018 at the age of 80, but I'd still love to hear what all they found and figure out exactly who the guy was. But we'll save that for another day here on the podcast. So today's episode, we will be going over all the suspects linked to the Black Dahlia murder. So without further ado, let's get into part two of the Black Dahlia. So last week, we dove into the backstory of Elizabeth Short. We went through the murder and even mentioned a couple of the suspects, which I'll go back over these two here again today because they're pretty convincing suspects, in my opinion. And we'll go in pretty much the same order that investigators went through. So first up, we had Robert Red Manley. Again, he was the man Elizabeth was last seen with being dropped off at the Biltmore Hotel. He was a married man that Elizabeth had been dating slash had just accompanied him on a recent business trip. So this red guy was first on the suspect list. And one thing I didn't mention last week was that two days after Elizabeth's body was found, Red took off to San Francisco with a guy named Harry. I believe this was just another business trip, but it was a little suspicious timing. And come to find out, police ended up waiting two days outside of this hairy guy's house, waiting for the two men to return from this trip. Manley was taken in and questioned pretty heavily. His car was searched, and he was given two polygraph tests, both of which he passed. And as I mentioned in part one, he had a solid alibi. So investigators pretty much had to mark this guy off their list of suspects. In a later interview with a reporter, he gave the story of how the two met. He said he was on a business trip to San Diego in December 1946, a few months after his wife had their baby. He said he and his wife were going through a rough patch, and when he saw Elizabeth, he decided to ask her out. He said the two went to dinner and hung out, but did not sleep together. He said he went back to San Diego in January on another business trip, and he met Elizabeth again. That's when she asked him to drive her back to L.A. 
um, to meet her sister on his way back to the area. He said the two stayed in a hotel the night before they left, but again, he claims they did not sleep together. Supposedly, Elizabeth had chills during the night and complained of being like super cold, almost acting sick. Manley said that on their way back, Elizabeth told him she was meeting her sister, Adrian West, who was coming in from Berkeley. He said that she asked him to take her to the Greyhound bus station so she could check her bags before she met her sister. So that's what he did. Manley said that when they got to the Biltmore, she said that she had to go to the restroom and asked if he would check at the front desk to see if her sister had arrived yet. When he went to the front desk, supposedly they had no Mrs. West registered. Elizabeth had mentioned her sister was short and blonde, so he said he went up to a few different short blonde women asking, um, and none of them claimed to be Elizabeth's sister. But when Elizabeth got back, he said it was getting late and he needed to get home to his wife. Elizabeth said that she needed to wait there, so the two parted ways. He told the reporter, quote, That is the last time I ever saw Betty short. I'll take the truth serum or anything they want to give me, and I'll swear on a stack of Bibles and tell my minister too. That was the last time I ever saw Betty short. I did not kill her. He also added, but I'll never cheat on my wife again, <laughs> which kind of makes me laugh. Three years after the murder in 1950, Red was re-interviewed by the LAPD with the hopes of obtaining additional information or like possible leads. In a transcript from that second interview, DA investigator James McGrath asked Manley if Elizabeth Short had mentioned any of the following names during their time together. And I'll list them here. So, Dr. Morris, Day Gaston, Dr. Abrams, Dr. Scott, Dr. Brooks, Dr. Mitchell, Dr. Bricks, a Glenn Wolf, Mark Hansen, Carl Balzings, Dr. Wark, Site Premier, Harry Long, or a girlfriend named Trudy. His response to each of those names mentioned was no. During his time with Elizabeth, she never mentioned any of those names. And pretty much nothing further came from that interview. But I find it very interesting that the investigator asked about this list of people specifically. Now, supposedly, Red had went into the Army and was discharged for mental disability, subsequently suffered a series of nervous breakdowns and claimed to be hearing voices. As a result, he was committed to Patton State Hospital by his wife in 1954. He died on January 9th, 1986. Some reports claim that he was hounded about the Black Dahlia murder his entire life, which is very sad, I have to say. So in my opinion, I think we can completely rule out Robert Red Manley. So now let's get into Mark Hansen. I mentioned Mark last week, and he was on the list of names that investigators asked Red Manley about. So, Mark Hansen moved to Los Angeles in 1921. At that point, he was a successful businessman who was married and had kids and owned several theaters in Minnesota, North Dakota, and possibly other states. In the mid-1940s, he and his wife separated, and shortly after, he met Elizabeth Short. At the time, Mark Hansen was described as a 55-year-old, 5'9", 175-pound man with graying hair and an accent. He owned at least two houses, one on Hollywood Boulevard and another on Van Ness Avenue. He was part owner of the Florentine Gardens 
a successful nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard, like I mentioned in last week's episode. Him and a silent film actress, Alice Calhoun, built the Mark Hall Theater just down the street from the nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard. Last week, I mentioned Anne Toth. She was a friend of Elizabeth's, but before she was Elizabeth's friend, she was Mark Hansen's. However, I don't know exactly how close the two were. I've heard that they just ran in the same circles because Anne was an actress who lived with Mark off and on at his home on Carlos Avenue in Hollywood. I feel like Mark was just kind of the guy who let people stay with him as they needed to. Although some articles have claimed that Anne was his girlfriend at the time. So it's hard to say just what kind of relationship these two had. But that being said, Elizabeth and Anne Toth met and Elizabeth lived in Mark's house with another friend named Marjorie for two weeks in October and about a week to 10 days in November 1946. Supposedly, Mark kicked this Marjorie girl out because she was drinking all his liquor and when she left, so did Elizabeth. And the two girls ended up going to stay with Marjorie's boyfriend, Bill Robbins, and his roommate, Marvin Margolis. Long story short, that didn't last long, and Elizabeth went back to Mark's and lived there off and on until Ann Toth helped Elizabeth get an apartment at the Chancellor Apartment Building. Now, Mark Hansen later tells investigators that Elizabeth told him that she didn't like living at the Chancellor Apartments because she was scared. He said that she told him there was, quote, bad company over there and she couldn't stand it. Mark claims that the last time he saw her was when he was driving her back to her apartment one night, dropping her off outside. And that night she had told him she was going to Oakland during the holidays with her sister. Supposedly, she told him that she would call him when she got back in town to see if he'd let her stay with him. He said that was the last time he ever saw her. Investigators interviewed Mark Hansen on January 25th, first at his home in the presence of Anne Toth. During that interview, Mark really kind of disrespected Elizabeth. He denied dating her, and he said she went on lots of dates, mostly with hoodlums who wouldn't even, that he wouldn't even let in his house. He said that the address book sent in the envelope, allegedly by the killer, was his, and he indicated that another memorandum and calendar book was missing, and he said, quote, I believe Miss Short stole that too. Now, Anne butted in at that moment and said that she was a nice girl, she was quiet, she didn't drink, and she didn't smoke, and we ought to look on the good side of people. When Mark's home was searched, photographs of Elizabeth was found. It's unclear when the photographs were taken, but Sergeant Finus Brown stated when being interviewed during the grand jury investigation that Mark said he got the photos from an officer when a girl told him that she knew Elizabeth. He said the girl told him that she knew Elizabeth Short and gave him information about her being at the Hal Browning Hotel. Hanson wanted the photos to show the girl to see if she could identify her, which obviously I don't buy that for a second. But I've seen nothing else mentioned about Mark Hanson by the LAPD. But again, in last week's episode, I mentioned he had several doctor friends and he had spent some time at Sweden's Medical Surgical School He would host large parties at his home. Some of those in attendance were members of the LAPD, so there could be a cover-up going on there, as I alluded to last week. 
Speaking of cover-up, I mentioned Buzz Williams, a retired member of the Long Beach Police Department as well. His father, Richard Williams, had served on the LAPD's Gangster Squad, the team that originally worked on the Elizabeth Short murder. Well, Buzz Williams did an interview in 2018 with Rolling Stone magazine discussing what he knew about the Elizabeth Short case. According to Buzz, a guy by the name of Leslie Dillon was a suspect pretty high on the list for a while. Buzz said that him and his dad would go fishing every year with his LAPD friends in the High Sierras for about four to five days at a time. And he said on those trips, Buzz heard his dad and Con Keller discussing the Black Dahlia case. And he remembers them saying they believed Leslie Dillon had orchestrated the murder with two other men. One being Mark Hansen and an unknown man named Jeff Connors, who investigators had originally written off as a figment of Dillon's, quote, unhinged imagination, which we'll get into that too. He said, my dad thought Leslie Dillon was the killer, but that Con Keller thought Leslie was present for the murder, but that Mark Hansen was actually the killer. Buzz said he believes they all conspired to kill Elizabeth Short when she became aware of a hotel robbery scam they were involved in. Buzz Williams said one of the members of the group involved in the scam would get a job at night as a bellboy, which Leslie Dillon had been known for, and they would find out where the safe was. And then the bellhop would quit the job, and a few days later, they would come back and rob the hotel safes for jewelry and cash. So, let's move on. Who is Leslie Dillon? Because I haven't mentioned him yet. So, Leslie Dillon was a 27-year-old bellhop, aspiring writer, and former mortician's assistant, who became a prime suspect when he began writing to the LAPD psychiatrist, Dr. Joseph Paul DeRiver. In October 1948, Dr. DeRiver had actually come out with a profile of the killer, and he had some success with profiling in the previous murder cases. When profiling the Black Dahlia killer, he said that this guy was an intellectual. He was a sadist, which is pretty obvious by the wounds inflicted on Elizabeth. He said the killer had a desire for publicity based on the public way the body was left. Now, Leslie Dillon said that he read a story about the case in a true detective-style magazine in which Dr. DeRiver was quoted about the case. Leslie wrote to DeRiver regarding his theories on the case. In his correspondence, he mentioned an intense interest in sadism and sexual violence in hopes of authoring a book on the subject, which, who the heck would want to read that? Leslie offered up one of his friends, Jeff Connors, as a likely suspect. Over the course of their correspondence, the psychiatrist began to believe that Jeff Connors did not exist and that Leslie Dillon had committed the murder himself. In December 1948, Leslie agreed to meet with Dr. DeRiver and they mutually agreed to meet up in Las Vegas. Dr. DeRiver and undercover LAPD officers met Leslie in Las Vegas for a couple of days and then convinced him to go to San Francisco to unsuccessfully look for this Jeff Connors guy. Now, supposedly, Leslie Dillon and Dr. DeRiver had recorded conversations where Dr. DeRiver claims Leslie Dillon confessed to the murder. However, those recordings have since disappeared. So sadly, we'll never know what was actually said, except for those that have heard the tapes. 
supposedly Leslie Dillon knew what happened to this rose tattoo that I had mentioned in last week's episode. This was one thing that investigators didn't release to the public, hoping it would help prove who the killer was, because they had a string of false confessions at the time. Apparently, the rose tattoo had been cut off Elizabeth's body and inserted inside a part of her body. And this was huge when Leslie confessed to knowing this, because after this conversation, he was taken into custody by the undercover officers and transported to L.A., Police soon discovered that Jeff Connors was, in fact, real, surprisingly. Come to find out, he lived in L.A. at the time of the murder and was employed by Columbia Studios, a supposed favorite hangout spot of Elizabeth's, where he worked as a maintenance man. But after holding Dylan and Jeff Connors for a short time, they were both released when conflicting statements were given and nothing was able to truly connect either to the crime. Now, with that said, I find one of the most convincing claims that leads me to believe that Leslie, Dylan, Mark Hansen, and possibly Jeff Connors committed the murder. A British author named Pew Eatwell wrote a New York Times bestseller about the Black Dahlia called Black Dahlia Red Rose. Eatwell went on the most notorious podcast and discussed her book and her thoughts on the case. I highly recommend y'all go check that out. Very interesting episode. But pretty early on in the interview, she talks about Mark Hansen and his crew of people. She said they would get these girls to come work for them, young aspiring actresses, and they would pretty much sexually harass them. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. They would make them take their tops off and do like examinations of their bodies before they would hire them, which is disgusting. But She went on to talk about Dr. DeRiver and his involvement in the case. And she said that Dr. DeRiver really believed that Leslie Dillon was involved. And he pushed the homicide department to investigate Dillon more. But supposedly, they weren't interested and pretty much refused to look further into Leslie Dillon. It was the gangster squad that I mentioned earlier who DeRiver went to about Dillon when the homicide department wouldn't budge. These were a group of elite members of the LAPD separate from the homicide department. They pretty much had free reign in the police department to do whatever means necessary to investigate um, typically organized crime, like local mobsters, Bugsy Siegel being one of the most popular ones. So Eatwell said there was basically a parallel investigation going on. One with the homicide department with Finest Brown and the others, and then another by the gangster squad, Richard Williams, Con Keller, those guys, which I think says a lot about the homicide department at the LAPD and really adds to the cover-up theory surrounding this police department, um, specifically the homicide team on the case. The author has said she believes Leslie Dillon murdered Elizabeth Short for Mark Hansen, who he worked for. At the time, she believes they killed Elizabeth at the Astor Hotel, where Leslie had reportedly stayed, and where motel owners Henry and Clara Hoffman admitted to finding on January 15, 1947, the day the body was discovered, one of their cabins, quote, covered in blood and fecal matter. Witnesses who stayed at the hotel noted seeing a dark-haired girl who resembled Elizabeth Short, as well as a man who fit Mark Hansen's description. Now, Pew Eatwell said she 
was not aware of Buzz Williams' knowledge of the case until after she published her book. But the two had very similar thoughts on the case, and Buzz's statements only further prove her theory. And y'all, I found out that Leslie Dillon later had a daughter that he named Elizabeth. I about fell out of my freaking chair when I read that. The killer stays close to the crime. Just saying. And I mean, personally, I believe it was Dylan, Mark Hansen, and Jeff Connors. And so do a few other people that I talked to about this case. But I have to say, there are a few other convincing suspects too. That's why this case is so hard to actually cover because there's a million possibilities here. But let's go over a few of the other suspects. One being Walter Bailey. He was a 67-year-old Los Angeles surgeon who lived one block south of the vacant lot that Elizabeth's body was found in until he left his wife in October 1946, but supposedly his wife still maintained the home in that area. Bailey's daughter was a friend of Elizabeth's sister, Virginia, but Walter Bailey died in January 1948, so a year after the murder. His autopsy showed that he was suffering from a degenerative brain disease. After his death, his widow alleged that his mistress knew a terrible secret about Bailey and was made the main beneficiary upon his death as a result. Walter Bailey was never an official suspect in the case, according to investigators. However, Detective Harry Hansen, one of the original investigators, told the 1949 L.A. County Grand Jury, that in his opinion, the killer was a, quote, top medical man and a fine surgeon. It wasn't until Larry Harnish, a Los Angeles Times copy editor and writer, began studying the case in 1996 that he eventually concluded that Walter Bailey could have been Elizabeth's killer. Although critics of the theory questioned Walter's mental and physical condition at the time of the murder, However, Harnish's evidence showed that Bailey's neurodegenerative condition was known to produce violent behavior in otherwise passive individuals. The facial lacerations indicated that the killer had personal anger towards Elizabeth, and Elizabeth would often tell men that she had a son that died tragically. However, that was not true. Bailey did, in fact, have a son who was struck by a car and killed at the age of 11. The child's birthday was on January 13th, and since Elizabeth's body was found on the 15th, a few have suspected that Walter Bailey could have been the one who killed Elizabeth. Now, moving on to a man by the name of George Knowlton. This is a weird one. So, in the early 1990s, George Knowlton's daughter, Janice, began claiming that she had witnessed her late father murdering Elizabeth Short a claim she based largely on recovered memories that surfaced during therapy for depression. Based on these recovered memories, Knowlton published Daddy Was the Black Dahlia Killer with veteran crime writer Michael Newton in 1995. In the book, Janice Knowlton alleged that her father had been having an affair with Elizabeth Short and that Short was staying in a makeshift bedroom in their garage where she suffered a miscarriage. 
George Knowlton allegedly murdered Elizabeth in their garage and bisected her in the sink, then forced his then 10-year-old daughter Janice to accompany him when he disposed of the body. Which, personally, I just find that very hard to believe. I mean, one, cutting somebody in half, I just feel like a sink is not really the easiest place to do that. Unless you just have this extremely large sink. Um, And two, I do know repressed memory or recovered memory is a very real thing. I know people personally who have recovered traumatic memories they had repressed from childhood So with that said, her claims were taken seriously, so much so that police dug up grounds around her childhood home looking for evidence. They ultimately found nothing to tie George Knowlton to any crime. It was also determined that Janice Knowlton was a frequent contributor to various online forums regarding the Black Dahlia case. And family members have come out saying George was capable of violent abuse, and some have reported him bragging about unprosecuted homicides. In August 1998, Janice posted in an online group that George Hodel was a possible suspect in the case. So to me, I feel like she could be telling the truth. She could have thought of something, could have come up with this Elizabeth short story in her head, whether it's true or not, and maybe just kind of came obsessed with the case, but that's just my personal opinion. But this sort of leads me to our next suspect, and widely popular suspect in the murder. Dr. George Hill Hodel Jr. came under police scrutiny in October 1949 when his 14-year-old daughter Tamar accused him of molesting her. Somehow, despite three freaking witnesses testifying that they had seen Hodel molesting his daughter, he was acquitted in December 1949. The trial, though, led to the LAPD to include Hodel as a possible suspect in the Black Dahlia murder. Hodel was a physician at the time specializing in sexually transmitted diseases, and many have suspected that Elizabeth Short was a patient of his. Police put Hodel under surveillance from February 18th to March 27th, 1950, and in microphone recordings released, George Hodel can be heard making very incriminating statements. From a recording on February 18th, he can be heard saying, quote, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. Which to me is a confession. But there's a lot of people out there and whole groups of people out there out to prove it wasn't him. Mainly because they believe it was Mark Hansen or somebody else. But the secretary referred to in the statement was Ruth Spaulding, who police had previously suspected of being murdered by Hodel in 1945. So, she was murdered before the Black Dahlia murder. However, documents were later found that indicated Ruth was about to publicly accuse Dr. Hodel of intentionally misdiagnosing patients and billing them for laboratory fees, medical treatment, and prescriptions not needed. Plus, George Hodel was present when Ruth overdosed and he had burnt some of her papers before police were called. But other than that statement, made in the incident with Ruth, there wasn't much to prove he was the killer. 
that was until many years after the Black Dahlia killing when George Hodel's son, former cop Steve Hodel, became suspicious of his own father's possible involvement in the crime after he died in 1999. Unlike Janice Knowlton, Steve had found physical evidence that might have linked his father to the crime. A photo album found in his dad's things, which contained a picture of a woman that Steve strongly believed to be Elizabeth Short. This led him to dig further into the case. A three-page handwritten letter dated October 25, 1949, surfaced that appeared to identify Dr. Hodel as the killer of Elizabeth Short and at least one other woman. W. Glenn Martin, a former LAPD informant, wrote a detailed letter to protect his then-teenage daughters, and Martin feared a man he referred to as G.H., and then potentially consequences that came with keeping, quote, dark secrets. Martin's granddaughter, Sandy Nichols, discovered the letter in July of 2018, tucked in her mother's belongings after her mother had died. Sandy was unfamiliar with the murder case, so she turned to the internet, and that's when she found Steve Hodel. Now, separately, in the final report to the grand jury, dated February 20th, 1951, Lieutenant Frank Jemison of the Los Angeles County DA's office wrote, At the time of this murder, George Hodel had a clinic at East 1st Street. Lillian Dinorak, who lived with this doctor, said he spent some time around the Biltmore Hotel and identified the photo of victim Short as a photo of one of the doctor's girlfriends. Goes on to say, Tamar Hodel, 15-year-old daughter, stated that her mother, Dorothy Hodel, has told her that her father had been out at a party all night the night of the murder and has said, quote, they'll never be able to prove I did that murder. The report Lieutenant Jemison wrote was lengthy, so I don't want to read the whole thing, but I wanted to highlight the most incriminating parts of it. By April 1950, Lieutenant Jemison had supposedly gathered enough evidence to charge Hodel with the murder of Elizabeth Short, and was about to arrest him when George Hodel fled the United States and was unable to be tracked down. Since then, several members of the LAPD have come out and said they consider the case solved. However, they just don't have enough physical evidence for a trial or to put George Hodel away for life. The notoriety of Elizabeth's murder has caused a large number of false confessions over the years. Since the murder, over 500 people have supposedly confessed to the crime. Sergeant John P. St. John, who worked on the case until his retirement, stated, It's amazing how many people offer up a relative as the killer. Which is probably why I have a hard time believing the George Total theory. I think also every serial killer around that time was considered a suspect as well, whether they were in the area at, or not at the time. The Zodiac Killer being one of those. And a friend of mine suggested Ed Gein due to the missing pieces of skin, which I think could be a good theory, but my only problem with that is I genuinely believe it was a doctor or somebody with surgical background. And to my knowledge, I don't think Ed Gein had that experience. I could be wrong. Now, 
several crime authors have suspected a link between the Black Dahlia murder and the Cleveland, Ohio torso murders, which took place in Cleveland between 1934 and 1938. It was a string of murders where victims were found cut in half. Although the bisection was the only similarity from what I understand. The LAPD have hunted down every lead and every false confession since the time of the murder, and to this day, nobody has officially been charged in the murder of Elizabeth Short. But what do you think? So what do you think happened? Who do you think did it? There are so many different theories on this one, guys. I definitely lean more towards Mark Hansen and the Leslie Dillon group. I think Mark had so many connections, friends that could have got the job done the way it was done. And he was connected to some powerful people that could help cover it up. And I also think he's one of the only ones that seemed to have true dislike for her. Like one of the few that had a real motive behind it. I think he was jealous. I think he was obsessed with her. And when she didn't want him back, he retaliated. And maybe she did find out about his hotel robbery scheme. I don't know. I've gone back and forth on who I really think did it since I first heard about it. I mean, after researching this case myself for the podcast, I could easily see it being George Hodel. But I struggle with the fact I really believe it was Mark Hansen. But maybe they're connected somehow. Maybe they both were involved. I don't know, guys. I am dying to know your thoughts. Maybe this case can officially be solved one day. Not sure what it would take for that to happen, but hopefully this can be resolved one day somehow by a miracle. As always, and especially on this one, I would love to know your thoughts on the case. Do you have any guesses or strong theories as to who you think did it? Head over to the podcast Instagram page and let me know. But that'll do it for me this week, guys. I'll be back here in two weeks for another Halloween case. Until then, stay safe out there. Bye, guys.